0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Yes. Find your seats. Yes. Hello. Good morning. My name is Brad. One of the ministers here. Welcome back from our long break. Hopefully that you have come back refreshed somewhat. So those of you who are students looking forward to winter camp next week, which brings me to our only announcement. And that is that uh, we still have church next week. Uh, Yeah, we'll be here next week. But uh, we are excited about winter camp coming up and all that good stuff. Uh, I'm gonna pass the offering basket, and uh, as usual, we've got our little swiper uh, And so just pass across the aisles all the way Not in sections so that we can uh, make sure that it gets passed around everybody. Okie-dokie Shell we'll start with you. Whoa bad idea Okie-dokie Well, we're gonna start a new series today, and uh, the series is pretty simple. It's just Isaiah 40 emotions or human emotions in the character of God. So some of this came out of uh, some of the things that Tom has been doing, Tom and Debbie at the Arlington Church with inner healing, something that I'm not quite on board with. Uh, so rather than go with the inner healing stuff, uh, I figure we would just broaden it a little bit and, uh, and just talk in general about emotions, okay? I can get down with talking about emotions. With inner healing, I don't know. That's just, uh, I'm not ready for that. I'll start with external healing. Uh, thoughts, maybe, first. So, we're going to be talking about emotions. We're going to be out of Isaiah, and we're going to be out of Isaiah 40, meaning we are going to spend the entire semester on one chapter of the Bible. So, for all of those of you who set the bar really low in terms of your reading the Bible, this is your series, because if there's somehow you can't get all the way through Isaiah 40 in the next few months, something is truly wrong with you, okay? But we're gonna go a little bit further and we're actually gonna memorize Isaiah 40. And so each week uh, that we break it up, it's only two chapters, we are going to memorize, your goal, your homework is to memorize uh, the section for that day, okay? So we're gonna be memorizing Isaiah 40, talking through Isaiah and talking about emotions. Sound good? Yeah, cool, great, wonderful. Uh, I lost all my notes this morning. Uh, for my sermon, and I tried to kind of piece them back together, but uh, eh, didn't really work too well. So I thought there was a place in Evernote that you could go to like trashed notes. I feel like I've done this before. So if any of you know and could teach me, not right now, because that'd be a little bit awkward, but eventually you could teach me and I could, you know, nah, avoid basically deleting my notes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Emotions, Christians in Emotions. I'll start off with this. Like so many of the things uh, that Christians believe today, we've largely inherited from Greek, primarily, and somewhat Roman culture. And unfortunately, one of the ideas uh, that some Christians have kind of embraced is the idea that emotions are somehow bad, not good, shouldn't have them, they're all sinful, you need to control them, blah, 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 so forth and so on. Um, however, this really isn't a Christian idea at all. It's a Stoic idea. And Stoics basically believe that you needed to master all of your emotions to the point where you, as soon as you felt them rising, you could sort of quell them and not allow them to influence you so you could just sort of live this peaceful life, not having any kind of emotions uh, uh, affect you or cause you to do bad things. In a sense, it's a little bit like Buddhism, uh, but primarily dealing with the emotions and not necessarily uh, what we would consider spiritual stuff, thoughts, things like that. So that was a Stoic idea. Aquinas and Augustine came along later and actually coined what would become the really the sort of way to talk about emotions for about a 1,000 years after that, okay? They said, you know, Stoics, this is not right. God gave us emotions. He obviously wants us to have them, He expresses emotion in scripture. And so emotions are not a bad thing. They're not something that ought to be quelled, uh, something that we ought to ignore, a problem to solve. And so what Aquinas and uh, Augustine did was they kind of divided emotions up into two things. The passions, which are like the strong emotions that were usually sinful and not so great. And affections, which were the more positive, good Christian Uh, you know, emotions that we all ought to exhibit. And this became the way people talked about emotions for another, again, almost a thousand years. So we left the Greek idea of stoicism and rationality and how our rational brain's good and our emotional brain's no good to this idea that both the passions and the affections were representing good and bad, so to speak, emotions that God had given us. Now, our term emotion and emotionality, you may be surprised to learn is only about 120 years old. People didn't start talking about emotions until about 120, 150 years ago. They just didn't. It wasn't a word that anybody used or that had any definition. Not that it has a ton of definition today, but it was just not a word. If you go back to the Greek root of the word, what does emotion mean? What what does it sound like? Come on, root word here. Emote, okay, go even more. No, no, Claudia, what'd you say? Emotion, yeah, emotion basically just means causing movement. It's a really strange idea. Why would we pick up a word that means causing movement or to make something move and that becomes our word to you know represent the whole passion and affections? Well, first of all, the reason people were getting away from passion and affection because it was really a religious idea came out of Christianity, and so in our Enlightenment era, of course, we wanted to rename everything and make it you know, less christian And So that's the main reason we, we used uh, this terminology. But also because at the time, remember, we still don't have a really good sense of the brain and uh, of you know, how people think, and um, so much of that was still pretty much our idea of, of people were wrapped up in the body itself. And so emotions, when they, the word first started uh, to become popular, basically just meant a movement of the body in reaction to something. So you feel butterflies when you're nervous? But it's because your body has an emotion inside of it. Like, w- literally, your emotions in your belly, okay? Right? Uh, and so this is really kind of where emotion came out of, was this idea that we feel emotions in our body, and they're a part of our body, which, of course, as time went on, we realized they're actually a part of our brain, uh, but that's really where we get this reward. So the, the idea, guys, is it's just really recent and new. I think sometimes we tend to think about emotions as like, well, that's just you know sort of human nature. People have been thinking the same thing about them for thousands of years. No, a lot of what we know and think about in terms of emotions is pretty new. The word itself is pretty new. So why is that important? Well, it's important because we're doing a series on emotions, and if we're going to try to get into the mind of the early Hebrew uh, uh, folks writing about emotions, we're gonna have to understand that they thought about and saw emotions very differently than we did. And if it's gonna apply to us and make sense to us, uh, we're going to have to, uh, to kind of start with that. Questions about that are pretty, pretty good. A brief history on emotions. It's great, if I just did accomplish that today and nothing else, then I win. Okay, so why Isaiah? Well, we just got done with Psalms and doing the identity stuff, so I didn't want to go back through Psalms. But I will definitely, definitely recommend that if you really want a passage that deals with emotions, uh, you're going to have to look through the Psalms. Right? David is very emotional in the Psalms. He sees it as an important thing before him and God. So read through the Psalms if you really, really want to kind of get down and uh, uh, kind of deep in your study of human emotion. The reason we're doing Isaiah is because Isaiah, unlike really any other book in the Old Testament, points to the supremacy of who God is. And talks about his character, talks about his interactions. And the main goal of this study is not for us to just have a whole lot of conversations about emotion. It's to try to figure out why God gave us the emotions he did, and how we ought to use them, by looking at how he used them, and what his character tells us about human emotions, okay? The proper use of and the way to think about these emotions. And so we're gonna be going from Isaiah. Isaiah is a really interesting book. Uh, We talk a lot about prophecy uh, in terms of prediction and yet so few of the prophets predicted anything. I mean, you know, they predicted things in the way that like Nostradamus predicted things, like really vague ways, except Nostradamus did predict some really weird and strange specific stuff. But most of the prophets didn't do that. Well, Isaiah does absolutely. He actually goes even further than just predicting the exiles. The book is really broken up into three parts, and probably the best thing for you to do is uh, to read, not read, listen to, watch, there we go, watch the uh, Bible project on Isaiah. That would be really helpful for you over the course of the next uh, few weeks is watch that so you have a sense of what Isaiah is about and what it's doing. Isaiah is really weird because the first 39 chapters is Isaiah talking to the nation as it is currently, okay? The rest of the book is Isaiah talking to the nations 60 and then 100 years later as if all the things that he predicted were going to happen have come to pass. So much so that people have argued over the years whether there's three separate authors to this book because nobody else really does this. None of the other prophets sort of insert themselves into a time period in the future and begin acting as if they're speaking to people in a current state that they're in, this case uh, uh, being in exile. So this is an important time period in, in Israel's history. Uh, Isaiah is speaking to a group that is about 100 years away from being completely exiled, meaning the temple's destroyed, they don't have anywhere to go, uh, and they will never regain their power as a nation after this. Never. Go into Jesus' day, when the temple is actually destroyed for good, they won't, really won't, won't ever regain their power. And so this is a really pivotal time uh, in Israel's history. So you can imagine there's a lot of emotion, uh, both with the people and with God, uh, going into, uh, into Isaiah. So, uh, let me think. Three things that you might write down, uh, that uh, if you want to kind of think about how the book is broken up. There's the judgment section at the very beginning, which is one through 39. And some of these elements are throughout, but there's kind of the primary section uh, is the first half, one to 39, where they, uh, you know, you're sort of seen as a judgment. I think about this, if you're gonna think about this and draw a uh, kind of like a corollary or correlate to emotions, this is sort of like the diagnosis stage. God is diagnosing the problems that Israel is, uh, is having through his, uh, his prophet Isaiah, okay? So that's the judgment phase. And then you get the prediction, which is, you know, again, where uh, Isaiah is actually predicting what's going to happen to them in some really amazing detail, stuff that does actually come to pass, okay? I uh, think about that again in terms of uh, correlating to emotions. That's kind of the warning. You get diagnosed, then you say, hey, here's the warning if this does, goes untreated, unfixed. Um, If you don't pay attention to it, here's what's going to happen. And then the last part of the book, the part where we're going to pick up on when we read Isaiah 40, is the whole idea of hope and restoration, the healing part, the stuff that once we've gotten a a diagnosis, once we figure out how serious it is, we want to know how to be healed. And that's really what Isaiah 40 is about. It transitions the book from, here's the judgment I've passed on you, but good news, here's what God's going to do in the long run. Okay? in regard to your status as a people and your ability to uh, follow through with the covenant that, uh, that Abraham was given at the very beginning, to bless all nations. Okay? So this week, we're going to read Isaiah 6, uh, which sounds weird, right? Because we're doing Isaiah 40. Uh, and then next week, we're going to do uh, 12 and 49. The reason for these three are just because they're kind of really important to know, so you have a sense of Isaiah, and because Isaiah 40 references back to these. So six today is where we're going to be. Okay. If you want to turn there and then uh, 12 and, uh, and 49 for for next week. So what we do uh, at the beginning, well, let me back up a little bit. So here are a couple things that I'm gonna set as goals for this sermon series and I'll put these online as well as I already have put the um, the chapter the breakups of, of all the um, reading that you'll have. Okay. But so we're gonna memorize Isaiah 40, that's one goal, it's a really practical goal. We're gonna challenge people to think biblically about their emotions, okay? Uh, Compare our emotions to God's character in a way that explains their purpose and proper use. And one of the things I like to do, and I think Leslie likes to do somewhat as well, while we're doing a sermon series, is be reading something, kind of throwing something in. Last semester was a little odd because we were throwing in all those random names of people with identity. This semester I've got a great idea. Um, I came across a book when I was early in my faith. I actually still don't know what it's called, Melissa. I'm sorry. I meant to look at it this morning, and I forgot. But it was a book of Christian satire, okay? And it was satirists, people who were making fun of Christians, but they were Christians, and it still is one of my favorite books. And there's a lot of books out there. There's one in particular, actually, that of all people, even Proven uh, wrote a chapter for. And I'm going to be using that book, as Leslie will too, and trying to use humor, because it's the best of the emotions, let's be clear, All right, Uh, to discuss some of just the difficulty and simplicity of emotions, okay? So it's a book on humor. I still don't know what it's called. Oh, okay, yeah, what are you gonna ask? Oh yeah, first eight things. Memorize Isaiah 40. Challenge people to think biblically about their emotions. Compare our emotions to God's character in a way that explains their purpose and proper use, and then uh, use humor to discuss the difficulty, simplicity of our emotions. So, if anything, this sermon series should be really fun and funny. If nothing else, if we don't plumb the depths of your emotional baggage, okay, we at least ought to have some fun doing what we're doing this semester. Okay, have some fun. We can have some fun talking about emotions. We're going to use humor. Use humor to, uh, you know. Um, Talk about uh, our emotions. Yay, yay, yay. Okay. I know I'm going a lot of directions, moving different places. This happens when you lose your notes. Uh, First two weeks of every sermon series, we do kind of a who we are as a church. Um, And we like to wrap that up into the topic that we're doing. And so today, uh, we're going to be reading from Isaiah 6. And uh, and the thing that I'm going to tell you uh, is we need a little bit more, send me excitement around here, okay? Uh, No, 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 not just excitement. You actually, that just completely, ah, dang it. That actually worked against what I'm going to teach you this morning, but that's fine. Guys, we are all ministers as a church. This is not a church where you can sit back and be ministered to and have no expectations to turn around and minister to the people around you. If that's the kind of church you're looking for, there are plenty of them out there. Uh, There have been plenty of them throughout the ages, but that's just not us. We're all ministers, okay? I'm barely a minister. Uh, Most people are very surprised when they even hear that I'm a minister. Uh, I have lots of funny stories about that, um, them backpedaling and trying to, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, so we are all ministers here. We're not, you guys don't pay us to do all the ministry around here. We are a church of ministers, And as such, I hope that you will see in Isaiah that kind of heart of send me excitement. Send me, I'm excited to go as we read through this Isaiah 6 passage. Isaiah 6 is pretty challenging because remember, where are we at in Isaiah in terms of the sort of three parts? Judgment, all right. So as long as you know that, then you can read this and understand. In the year that King Uzziah, Died. King Uzziah. Okay, King Uzziah. Before we go even further, King Uzziah was probably the most prosperous king since Solomon. He reigned 52 years. Uh, he was, he made the nation really prosperous. Okay. They were in a situation where everything was good. Now I want you to think about this. They're a hundred years away from losing everything their temple their land their respect as a people but in this moment they have just mourned the death of a king that brought them more prosperity since the time of solomon they're living in a day and age where everything seems rosy the future looks perfect everything is good everyone is well fed has money has respect Sure, there's that big Assyrian army out there, but they've never been able to pass into, even close to Damascus or the northern kingdom because all the kingdoms have you know, come together uh, to, to sort of keep them out. So they're doing good, guys, really good. King Uzziah was an interesting king, won't talk much about him, um, but he was the king that when you look back in pictures, you see, why does that weird hat he's wearing? No, he was a leper, right? He was struck as a leper, after being uh, initially on God's side with Zechariah, d- later decided he was going to take on the priestly role instead of letting the priest do the priest role, and then got struck with leprosy, and everything just sort of went down the uh, hill for him, not so much for the people of Israel, because they still were very wealthy. So it's interesting that on the day of his death, or after his death, uh, um, or in the year, there we go, there's accurate information, uh, Isaiah sees this vision from God. "'So I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, "'Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory.'" At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. "'O to me,' I cried, "'I'm ruined.'" For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Such an interesting moment uh, of humility, considering where he's coming from, a nation that's rich, that feels spiritually successful, and yet he sees this vision and is completely dumbstruck, as so many people were when they actually saw a vision of God. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) it's a good place to run, right? A good point to just run. I'm sure his body was like so in fear and trembling that there was no way to move. But come on, live coal, some six-winged creature who isn't even paying attention, I guess, because their eyes are covered, uh, is gonna come touch my mouth with coal, hot coal. Okay, well fine. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people. <laughs> uh, you has got to wonder after this message, he was like, oh man, I should have thought twice about the send me part. I don't, I thought this was going to be a better thing I was going to do. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. May the heart of this people, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. (laughs) Then I said, for how long, Lord? (laughs) Remember, this is the same passage that Jesus uses to talk about the Israelites when he comes and, and basically is diagnosing the problem with them. And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, and the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravished, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, a remnant remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Go tell them that they are about to be wiped out without even so much as a remnant in their land sticking around. The only thing that will be left is a stump, which is my holy seed in the land. All right, so send me excitement. <laughs> um, I hate excitement just in general, okay? When people are excited around me, it makes me, Really annoyed. I am not an excitable person, okay? People ask me that question all the time are you excited to do this? Are you excited to do that? And, you know, I remember being excited when I was a kid, okay? But I just don't get excited anymore, okay? And I don't see this as a real problem with me. Maybe you do. (laughs) Uh, You do, good. But as someone who really struggles with depression and, you know, sees myself as a sort of realist, you know, the more excitement and anticipated you get about something, the more it's not going to live up to the very thing that you're excited about and anticipating. Now, I know that's such a pessimistic way of saying things, but I know so many of you are the exact same way. Don't pretend. And some of you will hide your excitement so as not to maybe, you know, be hurt. I'm just truly not that excited about much of anything. Okay? Uh, especially all kinds of things. Does that mean I can't enjoy them? I love vacation. Vacation, Brad is like an entirely different person. Chelsea knows this. He's relaxed. He watches Shit's Creek, uh, which is never something I would watch ever, and love it. And that's not the bad word, by the way. It's yeah, you get it. Okay. going to so make sure, no one, you know, I, I didn't technically use a bad word just now. Okay. Um, I'm just that way. But do I get excited about the vacation before it comes? Not even a little bit. I don't even think about it until the morning that I'm leaving and I'm like, okay, turn on vacation bread and there I am. And then when I get back, it's vacation bread off and back to work. People ask me, what did you do for Christmas? I said, work, I love to work. I literally worked on Christmas day, New Year's Eve and New Year's. I have fun doing it. Was I'm excited about the holidays? Excited about what? They come, they go. You gotta listen to terrible music. All right, you get the point, right? I'm not an excitable person. Why get excited when you know things usually don't live up to what they are going to, you know, you expect, and they're just gonna pass, and then something else is gonna come along the way. It just really seems like a waste of effort. Right? No, no. Woo, down with excitement. Yeah. All right, so. Uh obviously, uh, being a slight bit of facetious here, but one of the biggest problems we have with emotions is even describing what we mean by them. like what is the excitement exactly? What, what does that mean that I get really giddy and you know, in a moment, I just sort of go nuts over something that's going to happen in the future or something that's happened currently? Like I just sort of lose my mind um, What is excitement? Can I be an excited person and not somehow express it immediately? Is it possible to be excited about something, looking forward to something, or being very pleased with something without everybody knowing it? Do I really have to wear excitement on my shoulders, sleeves, outfit? I don't know, okay? Isaiah, I think, absolutely was excited about being sent here. But you see, it (laughs) He was excited, and I think we can use that emotion. He was, it wasn't, okay, I'm in. I'm here, send me. The exclamation is excitement. Excitement for what, dude? You're gonna go tell a fat and sassy nation that in a hundred years they're gonna cease to exist where they're gonna live, and that's the message you've been given. But it's like for most of us, ministry has this edge to it, this difficulty with it. That we know when we're getting into it, whether it's leading a small group, whether it's meeting with someone one-on-one, or it's having a tough conversation, that there's nothing exciting about some of the more difficult things that we have to do. It's just not, it's just not exciting. We don't wake up, you probably didn't wake up this morning and now maybe this morning you're a little bit more excited to come to church because you haven't been in like three or four weeks, but give it like two or three more weeks and you won't be very excited about being here. Okay, that excitement and that childish understanding of excitement—that means I've got to have some overwhelming feeling that my body has to move, like our ancient understanding of excitement—is not really. I don't think the kind of excitement that adults have to worry much about. Now, I'm not talking about we all be, you know, sad and depressed and, uh, you know, be indifferent, because I'm definitely not talking about being indifferent. Uh, I thought SMH. And shmeh were the same thing. But Chelsea cleared me of that delusion. And so now I realize I can't use the analogy that I really wanted to use. But thankfully, I didn't because I would look like a total fool. Uh, But we're talking about the opposite of shmeh here. Okay, Excitement is the opposite of shmeh. I'm indifferent to something. We have way too much indifference in our culture towards things because if they don't move us in the body immediately, catch us with our vision and with something uh, quick and whatever fleeting feeling it is, we don't seem to have much interest in it. And that's a real problem. And if we allow that to slip into our ministry life, we will often not have that kind of send me excitement that adults, mature adults, ultimately have. Guys, the main thing that, that I think allowed Isaiah to be excited here about doing what God wanted him to do, okay, is he had a good sense of both, both both the past and the future, okay? He had a good sense of it. He wasn't just living in the present. We've been told we ought to live in the present, live in the present. And I know what that means is ultimately that we ought not be so in our brains about all the mistakes we've made in the past or all the things that we're gonna do we're doing in the future and actually be useful here. But some of us are living a little too much in the present from one moment to the next, and our emotions often follow that. The live by the heart, live by the feeling kind of stuff that many of us, I think, fight against every day. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the idea of send me excitement. It's an ability to weather the moment comes at the perfect time that I'm happy and ready to do it or not, I'm ready to be sent. And that's why Isaiah was. He was ready to be sent. In a moment that didn't really work, that didn't seem like the right timing, uh, and certainly wasn't going to be a great message, he was ready uh, to um, be sent. And I think at the, the core of this, there has to be a belief that God will take the past and do something miraculous with it so that it's not all for naught. Okay, Isaiah over and over again saw all the things in his past, all the things in Israel's past that he allowed God to work through and always come out the other side, but it's also an anticipation for the future that what God will do will last and will end up uh, coming to accomplishment, coming to fruition. One of the biggest problems with us not being excited, or at least myself not being excited, is because I know that that excitement will leave, so why even have it in the first place, right? Right? I don't want to be excited about Christmas, because then the more excited I get, the more I'm going to be let down, and then Christmas goes, and now I'm just you know, in the season of January and February where everyone gets depressed for a couple months and ups their meds. That's not how we are in Christ. We don't have some moment that we're anticipating that's going to leave. This is all coming to a culmination, and the things that we are doing will last. And Isaiah knew this, and that's why he was ready to be sent, because nothing else around him was more important than getting on board with what God was doing, even if what God was doing in the moment seemed awful and terrible. Isaiah wasn't the teacher's pet, ready to tell, uh, like Joseph, all the nation how bad they were, like really giddy and excited that the first message he was going to be able to give was the message to a whole bunch of people who were doing really well. Guess what? You're about to do really bad. But he was ready for it because his excitement was in God and uh, and knowing that those things will come to fruition. So how do we get excited? How do we get this sort of send me excitement uh, in our life? Well, number one, we definitely don't try to force it. We got to be honest with ourselves. There are plenty of times at my best, probably 10 or 15 years ago, I was in a moment of ministry where I, I mean, at my best and my best day, okay, it was all I could do to just not hate having to meet with people. Anybody. Having to have conversations, having, I just was in a moment like that. It was about a six month, eight month moment. Push through it. Push through it. I love getting to meet with people now, one on one, for about one hour. Okay? Don't expect anything more than that. Just kidding. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> But that's one, is we've got to set our expectations. Uh, You know, number one, we've got to set our expectations. Just because you don't feel like doing something doesn't mean that you're not excited about doing it. Excitement isn't about just showing. I mean, you know, again, I'm not just saying, you know, it's kind of like the, um, the dude who says he's going to go take care of the field and then doesn't, and the guy that does take care of the field but said he wasn't, okay? Jesus was like, which one's better? I mean, yeah, it's probably better for you to do something good with a bad attitude, than it is to do something bad. There we go, thank you. Do nothing, but guess what's also better to do it and have a good attitude? So that's like the even you know highest of the three. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one to think, the opposite, because you can't do bad with a good attitude, that's. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you can, yeah, you can, but I think that's obvious that that one's not as good. But it is funny, all right? That's, that's true. That's good. So number one is we've got to change our, our expectations for what that even means. Can I be excited about something without, you know, being giddy and anticipating and all those things? Well, yeah, of course I can. And some of us, we feel a little, we get a little too honest sometimes with how little we want to do something. And it's amazing how much our verbal will impact how we actually think about something, right? So we start talking about how much we don't want to do it, and then all of a sudden we really just don't want to do it. We realize we talked ourselves into and emoted ourselves into actually not wanting to do that thing rather than filling our minds with something that's actually a little bit more hopeful. And I think number two is we've got to be able to get outside of the present moment. That's one of the most important lessons I've learned with emotions is getting outside of the most of the immediate moment, looking back at the past and looking towards the future. In the past, God has done amazing things in me. He's placed me in places, uh, you know, I don't want to go back. There's no time period in my life where I'm like super giddy to go back and live through. Now, I'm not saying that, that you, that's all for you. You got to feel the same way. I mean, we have seasons. There's seasons. Sometimes you want to go live there. You want to go there. But in terms of my spiritual and emotional development, there, I really don't want to go back there. <laughs> I'm amazed at what God's taken me through. But also I'm looking toward the future and recognizing what better can I do in my life than say, God send me. I'm here, because what you're going to be doing is the only stuff that's going to last and endure forever. So we've got to kind of regain some of that send me excitement. And I, by regaining, some of it's just uh, recognizing that I am excited to do these things. And I'm, I, because I'm setting this bar up that I've got to be like giddy and ready, you know, when we're in college and when we're first in our faith, all of those things, uh, you know, they, they come natural to us. And as you get older, they just don't come natural but that doesn't mean that, they aren't any, that they're any less there. We've got to be able to recognize them, notice them, and encourage them in ourselves and in each other. Uh, so that's all I have for today. Next week will be in Isaiah 12 and 49. So if you want to prepare for 12 and 49, that would be great. Um, I don't remember what the sermon is. Anyone want to look them on Facebook? I don't really know what I'm talking about next week. I actually deleted that message. It was in the same one, um, or Evernote. So yeah, actually I do need that. If you can help me figure out how to do Evernote, the trash can, because my second sermon is in that same same one. Uh, but yeah, Isaiah 12 and 49. Okay, um, we have a little mic. Oh, go ahead. We have a mic today, Uh, if we want, I don't even know if we have any questions. I mean, who knows what I just talked about? I don't really, because I didn't have notes. Um, I just came up here and yeah, talked. So who knows, do we have any questions about the sermon series, (laughs) whatever it is I just said? Or do we not even have questions today? You got one? Let's let's use our new mic, come on, let's use our new mic. Come on, you're fine, you're fine. We bought mics and now we really wanna use them. I hate this. Yeah, I know it's terrible. I get it. Um, I know. So
1: this like isn't like a gosh. This isn't like a like a developed or formed like fully formed question,
0: but it are like. Well, are you, why are you giving me a dev, not a fully developed question? Why did you give me the mic? To, an, <laughs> to not a fully. I mean, at least you could. I had a fully formed. There's no formed such thing as stupid
1: questions, so I'm gonna go okay, ahead and go do it. it. So, um, yes. So is like the goal, or is there like a suggestion that like temperance like like an evening of emotions or whatever is like the ultimate goal right and but then like you said something that was like god gave us these emotions but then i started thinking like each one of us okay why are you looking at me like
0: sorry i'm sweating up here i would take this off my wife buys my clothes and she bought me like a belly shirt (laughs) so i don't shows i'm gonna do it i'm like sweating
1: okay um but like i was thinking that each of us process emotions differently and that might have something to do with like the way that we were brought up or whatever? Yeah. Or like maybe like, that's just like some of our strengths, some of our weaknesses. That's absolutely right. Okay, so then like, is there a suggestion that like each of us, like that's like an individual sort of thing, like do you, are you tracking with me? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so like. But I also
0: want to make sure that uh, I'm clear. I, I don't, I'm not suggesting that to even out our emotions.
1: Well, I know. That's stoicism actually. Okay,
0: well. <laughs> I mean, cool. if you're an excitable person and you want to be excited, that's great. God gave know. you that. Yeah. And if you're someone who's pretty, you know, Low-key, in terms of excitement like me, I don't say that as a bad thing. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and joyful. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm dour. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good word.
1: So then... So
0: we all have... A, a, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's like, if I can use this... Yes, I can. Uh, okay. We all, I think, have an emotional range, like yeah. we have a weight range.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, people yeah. talk
0: all the time about, well, if you just did this, you'd be able to do that. hmm we, we have a weight range. Most people can't get outside of their weight range, yeah. even if they wanted to It'd be like super hard. Yeah. OK. And some of us have, you know, obviously a better range than others. Mm-hmm. But that's mostly God given. I think emotions are the same way for a lot of people. They have an emotional range. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so we'll talk about that. I mean, you know, it's definitely one of the main ideas that we'll we'll talk about and discuss. Huh. We're not trying to make everyone like Stoics, where they all have to have the exact same emotional you know, range or the exact same emotional makeup. God gave us emotions, and, uh, you know, he gave them, you know, all of those cheerleading people <laughs> and excitable people over at Wiley Northeast. I was a cheerleader. That's great sometimes to be around. Not all the time, but... <laughs> no, yeah. But great, you know? It's great. Yeah, for sure. And all of us real cool people in Denton, you know, who are real cool.
1: Yeah. Cool in emotion? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I guess, I mean, like, that answers
0: it. Okay. Does anybody want... We'll definitely yes. get there. Hello, And if you have any other things, suggestions, too, for what we ought to talk about during this sermon series, because right now it's not really fully formed, as you can tell. Uh, We'll talk about them. Yeah. Hey. Hi. So um, you were talking about how our church needs to have more Send Me Excitement. We're all ministers here. This isn't a place to only be ministered to. So I was wondering, you know, maybe you're going to talk more about this in the sermon series, but what are some ways our church could take more initiative to have more of that Send Me Excitement? So I think our our deal is uh, not that people are not willing to do stuff. Mm -hmm. I just think we're in an age group, many of us, who um, we've kind of, some of us have done ministry for going on a decade now, Mm -hmm. and it gets to be almost commonplace, Mm -hmm. uh, and we forget to, um, you know, do the things that we're doing with joy. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like Philippians. I mean, Paul wrote that entire book for a church that was really doing well, Mm -hmm. but what was his major message? Do it more and do it with joy uh, because that's really, you know, where it's at. And so that's the kind of message I'm giving. It's a very soft <laughs> nudge. And it's a nudge just as hard to myself because, you know, I can get doing stuff and, uh, and not get excited about it. But I didn't give you any practical st- steps. I don't know. I mean, this whole, hopefully the sermon series will help you with that. Um, my two non-practical were, um, I don't even remember them. Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, think through the word excitement um, because some of us are very excited about the things we do. We're just not, we don't We don't show it and we feel guilty for like, I'm not really excited. I don't show like I'm, I, I remember when I was, um, when I first started leading, uh, I don't remember what ministry it was. Honestly, I don't. Actually, I think it was Denton Church. When I first started leading Denton Church, I had this, mentality that I needed to be like Ronnie, you know, b- bouncing around from one person to the next. Just, hi, hey, you know, how you doing? This, that. And it, it was just stressful. I'd leave church and I'd just be like, I have no energy left. And now I'm not like that at all, man. You're good luck if you can even find me, right? I mean, uh, and I mean, pretty much all I do is just walk around. What's up, dummy? What's up, dummy? And, uh, there you go. So is that helpful? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think the, you know, the trying to kind of put yourself into some role uh, or having some expectation about super excitement. And then I just think one of the big things is just like I said, the, the past and the future. Thinking through, okay, I'm in the present moment. I'm going to have a conversation with someone at lunch today. I haven't seen them in a long time. It's a ministry opportunity. I really don't want to do it. I'd much rather take a nap. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, how many times have I had these sort of chance encounters with, you know, it's been a year or two years since I've seen someone, and then God has done something amazing through. Uh, them communicating to me or me communicating to them and just don't even, it's not even worth paying attention to how much I don't want to do it. I'm going to do it. Either don't do it or do it and I'm just going to do it. And yeah, so does that make sense? Yeah, that's super helpful. Okay, good. Thanks. Sure. Anything else? We good. Yeah, Justin, last one. You have to use the mic. Guys, everyone does and the reason is because it's recording. So we don't, it's so weird, it's been weird before. Okay. (laughs) Um... So you talked about excitement as um, a college student versus as a graduated adult. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just wondering what that looks like. Like what, for example, is the difference between excitement as an 18 to 22 year old versus a 30 something year old? Yeah, well, when you're in college, I think everything is kind of exciting. Exciting, we sometimes think about as a positive term. It doesn't have to be, right? It can be really negative. Something that excites you moves your body can be very negative too, but everything's changing. It's constantly in flux. You don't, you don't know about career. You don't know about marriage. That's going to happen. You know, every semester you have this and that. And when you get to be an adult, it's like the, the, all of the milestones sort of begin to disappear, right? You get maybe marriage, job, good one, kids, financial security, but there's like three or four. <laughs> do you think some of it, do you think some of it is biological? Like, like, do you think like we just go through like natural transitions or is it just more of a like life kind of thing, if that makes sense? Uh, It doesn't, but that's okay. Um, Let me continue on what I was saying. So I think one of the things uh, about excitement is it's like any other virtue or emotion. I mean, I think about this in terms of infatuation. There's one thing for something to cause you to be excited. And then there's another to choose, uh, you know, to really exhibit an emotion because you've chosen to exhibit it. And so when you're in a stage of excitement, uh, which I think college really is, it's easier to just be excited about almost everything. And as you get older, you have to choose um, you know, that emotion to be excited about certain things. But it, it requires more choice. But that's what adults do, right? They choose their, their life. That's what God's given us the ability to do rather than letting life be chosen for them which is, I think, what a lot of people are stuck in in our society, kind of moving from one thing to the next to try to find or regain some sort of excitement, something, you know, I'm gonna go buy a toy or I'm going to go, you know, um, well, there's a lot of the, the passions that we could talk about, which we will later on, so. All right, um, we're gonna take communion, and uh, if you haven't taken communion with us, uh, we do the bread and then the juice, dip it, and, uh, and then we'll come back together and Troy will lead us Troy and Chelsea will lead us in some singing. I'm going to say a prayer for our communion. Lord God, thank you for sending your Son uh, to be among us, um, to weep, to mourn, to laugh, um, to be happy, to be sad, that you show us that that, uh, those emotions, those things you've given us, they have great power both to impact other people, to impact us, but also to connect us with you. Pray that through the series that you would teach us who you are um, and who we are and our emotions, and that we would always just live life as Jesus does. I'll take this in your name. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week.